The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Gabby Bernstein. Over the past 15 years, it's been my mission to help people crack open to a spiritual connection of their own understanding. On my podcast, Dear Gabby, I offer up real-time coaching, straight talk, and guidance on stress, burnout, loss, relationships, spirituality, and everything in between. There's no small talk here. There's only big talk. Dear Gabby isn't just a podcast, it's a movement. People need to feel loved. They need clear guidance. And most of all, they need to know they're not alone. I've got your back, my friend. Join me every Monday for a new episode of Dear Gabby. Hi, everyone. I'm Haley Hubbard, mom to three kids and wife to a touring artist. And I'm Jessica Diamond, a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in public health. And this is Meaningful Living. Every week, we're breaking down the overwhelming amount of parenting, nutrition, and lifestyle information into credible knowledge and simple tools. The Cliff Notes Guide to Feeling Confident in Your Everyday Choices. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. Welcome back to Meaningful Living Podcast. I'm Jess Diamond. And I'm Haley Hubbard. And this week, we're talking to the woman known as the millennial parenting whisperer, Dr. Becky Kennedy. Dr. Becky is a mom of three, a clinical psychologist, host of the Good Inside podcast, and a respectful parenting coach who covers topics ranging from potty training to reparenting yourself as an adult. In this episode, we pick her brain all about how to respond to kicking, hitting, biting, or any of the other aggressive behaviors our kids are bound to engage in at some point. Whether your child is on the receiving or giving end, whether you're millennial or not, you'll learn so much from Dr. Becky. And while listening to the episode, if you enjoy it and find it helpful, we'd love if you'd share it to your Instagram stories and tag us or tell a friend because we want to share this knowledge with all that we can. You can also leave us a review or DM us with any topic suggestions you have. We always want to hear from you. It takes a village and we love this community we're building. Now let's hear from Dr. Becky. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited you're here. Um, and this conversation couldn't have come at a more perfect time, seeing that I have a bruise on my arm from bites. <laughs> and we're just excited to dive into to this topic with you. But I'm just going to start with some general questions. Like, could you just describe your parenting approach and why you think it resonates so much with millennials like us? I think by now I should have a really great answer for this. So I'm going to just speak from the heart of what I, what I think is happening. I mean, I, I think my parenting approach, number one, respects kids and parents equally and kind of prioritizes the needs and feelings of kids and parents equally. And I think, I think a lot of others don't, right? I have deep respect for kids. I think they're really kind of amazing, fully sensing, perceiving young people who often are left in the dark. And at the same time, I I really respect parents. I truly, truly believe that every parent is doing the best they can with the resources they have available to them in that moment. I I think the same thing as kids. And yet, given those both are true, sometimes we're in these situations where everything just feels like a mess, right? Um, So I think there's something about that, that it feels like, okay, I don't have to choose my kid over me, or I don't have to choose me over my kid there is this two things are true way that we can go about parenting. The other thing I think that is really resonating actually is that it's really a parent 
first approach. And I think there's a way in which we talk about it that parents don't ever, or I hope they don't, and I think they really don't feel blamed. Instead, they actually feel empowered. And and I, I think about that a lot. I think what's going on with our kids in our home environment, I mean this, it's not at all our fault. It is our responsibility as the adults in the room to figure out what a kid needs, what's really going on, what needs to change in the environment so our kids can flourish. And I think through this, a lot of parents and my followers are mostly women. So I'll say especially women, I think feel really empowered that they find, wow, I feel like a sturdier parent, but Dr. Becky, I actually feel sturdier at work or I feel like I'm standing up to my in-laws in a way I didn't, or I, I feel just like I'm getting to know parts of myself and I've changed. Yeah, my kids changed and that's actually feeling good, but it's only part of the equation. And if we can grow ourselves while we're helping our kids, that's just it's just really compelling to be able to do both those things. Yes. And what you said is so true about respecting our kids and that they're just little people because I'm reminded every single day that they're so much wiser and in tune than I ever imagined. That's exactly right. And, you know, I often think of this moment where my then, I don't know, he's probably almost three, my first, he was in a stroller. We were about to leave our New York City apartment and he looks at me and just goes, where am I going? And I was just like, wow, that is the plight of a child. Like if I'm not talking to a kid about everything that's happening, they're just whipped around and no wonder they melt down. That feels awful. Like I would hate it if my husband just like, put me in a car and started driving me somewhere, right? That they understand what's going on around them. And they actually perceive more than we do because their survival depends on it because they're so dependent on us. So they notice every change. They notice every mood shift. They notice our arguments. They notice if, you know, there's a new illness around them and everyone's wearing masks. Like they see it, but they don't have the cognitive abilities or emotion regulation abilities to understand and work through it. Yeah, they're aware of it. We're so drawn to you because we're all about kind of just cliff notes, practical approaches, right? I think as parents, there are so many small things we can do that parents a lot of times don't believe it, but it's you can do this small little change and it'll have a huge impact. And so I think that comes true when we're talking about the aggressive behaviors that we're talking about today. So we want to know, first off, what does it mean and what do we do when our kids starts showing those aggressive behaviors? We're talking biting, kicking, hitting, throwing, pinching, any of those, right? Is that normal? Great. So there's so many things that are pinging in my brain, but I'm going to say the first one because I think it's a really general idea. I think the question, is this normal? And I say this myself too, so I'm I'm not hopping on it, right? It's amazing to pause when we ask ourselves that question. And I think always that question can be replaced with what is happening for my child and what does my child need, right? So let's go with that. What is happening for my child when my child's engaging in these aggressive or I I often refer to them as boundary violating behaviors. My body's going on your body, right? Something like that. And what would my child need? And to me, whenever we get out of what is normal mode and into what is going on for my child and what does my child need mode, I know for me, I activate. I mean, what is normal mode makes me very anxious as a parent, right? Because either I say it's normal uh, and then I just don't think about it or I say it's not normal and then I I panic and then don't think about it because I don't want to panic, right? So it's not useful in either way. So what's going on for a child? First of all, our child's behavior is a window into their internal life. That to me is just like a foundational parenting idea. So, okay, so my kid is 
hitting and pinching. If that's a window into their internal life, what does that even mean, right? Well, it would make me wonder, I wonder how my child is feeling and what feels overwhelming such that those feelings end up kind of catapulting out of their body in the form of hitting and pinching, right? I'm a pretty visual person. So if I think about feelings living in your body, a feeling must feel so powerful and overwhelming that it rises up and it comes out in a child's extremities, in their fingertips, in their mouth, in their feet, right? It literally is coming out of their body. So what that brings up for me is, okay, I need to help my kid not get rid of the feeling. The feeling's not the problem. The fact that the feeling doesn't feel manageable inside their body is the problem. And I think we all can relate to that as adults, right? Maybe we're not like kicking and biting, maybe, you know, (laughs) on our good days, we're definitely not. But (laughs) we might be yelling at someone or right. We might be having something else come out of us. And I think we all know that's when things are overflowing, right? That it's rarely the thing that provoked that. That's truly the problem, but the buildup also of so many feelings. So that to me is just a baseline way of understanding it. What a kid who's pinching, biting, kicking is really struggling with, right? Is regulating the feelings or the urges that took place right before that moment. And I think this is a great place to kind of start to understand so we can start to intervene here. Having the urge to kick, I really mean this, is not a problem. Having the urge to bite is not a problem. Biting is a problem. Kicking is a problem. And I often think that kids who are in a stage of kicking or biting, that really the struggle is there's not enough time between the urge and the action. Then in fact, like urgent action are just like collapsed, right? With like your hands are one. Mm-hmm. And again, now that I'm being curious, instead of thinking if it's normal or not, if I think about that being the problem, then part of the intervention is, ooh, well, if we just separate the urgent action with a little bit more time, all of a sudden I can see the urge as separate from the action. And now the fact that my kid has an urge to bite, as an example, isn't actually that problematic because it hasn't converted into a behavior. Let's take a break to talk about one of our favorite sponsors of the podcast, Artifact Uprising. Have you ever wanted to make a really cute scrapbook of your kid's life, but never finished it? Or if you're like me, never started it because it's just so hard to get organized and make it look as cute as you envisioned. Well, Artifact Uprising has you covered. They just came out with this new book. It's called The Early Years Book, The Story of You, which is virtually a baby book for your toddler. So it's designed to document your child's life from ages one to five. Haley and I both used Artifact Uprising for our baby books and we were obsessed with it. And frankly, I was so upset they didn't have a toddler book. So when I heard they had this book for kids one to five, I was sold and it is as good as expected. I'm not kidding when I say the book makes you feel like the Pinterest mom of the year and they make the process so easy and just fun to do. The book is broken into chapters. So there's one for each year of your kid's life from ages one to five. And each chapter then has these set of prompts and exercises you get to fill out. You add your favorite pictures and artwork. There's some blank pages. You can customize it. So easy and fun. There's a section to document your kid's favorite things of the moment. And I asked Bryce the other day when we were doing it, what his favorite thing right now is. And I kid you not, he said, singing like Tyler from Florida Georgia Line. It just melted my heart. And I know it's one of those moments I wouldn't have documented if I wasn't making this book. 
It comes with all the necessary supplies you need. So there's no thinking involved. You can just do. They have these free set of photo prints you get. And the book itself is linen bound, comes in the cutest colors. So it looks perfect on the bookshelf. There's nothing not to love here. We're obsessed with it and know you will too. If you're a parent or you need a meaningful gift for anyone with a child one to five, this is the gift to get. We're so excited because for a limited time, our listeners get 15% off your Artifact Uprising order with the code MEANINGFUL15 with two L's. So MEANINGFUL15. So I can I can get more specific on that. Maybe even the best thing to do, if one of you has like an example of like where this is really happening, <laughs> then we can like really ground it in real life. Oh, yes. We are definitely going to go through the scenarios because Haley and I have got some good scenarios now. And there's something you said that just on an intellectual level, I think we all know that it's normal when our kids, like this is aggressive behaviors happen and there's not anything inherently wrong with our child. But when it does happen, it's that moment where it just, you feel so embarrassed, but you almost go to this place of like fear. Like, oh my gosh, down the road, is my kid going to be that biter at preschool? Is my kid, you almost panic. It's not so much in the moment. It's fast forwarding, you know, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that's in addition to the, is this normal question, which I think all parents be like, I'm just going to start noticing if I ask that question and it's kind of cool to replace it with the other one. I think honestly, number two on the list of kind of parenting habits we get in that don't serve us is the, the fast forward. Because what we end up doing is we have a situation in front of us. We project a fear into the future then of course we build our own anxiety and then actually we end up responding based on that fear, not based on what's in front of us. So our kid is dealing with the weight of being a biter in third grade and they're like, I'm only two years old. Like what? <laughs> I don't even, mom, what, what happened? You know, um, right? Is my kid never going to have manners? Is my kid never going to be able to do math? Is my kid never going to be able to have a calm play date? And if we can notice that, which to me might even start just by saying to ourselves, oh, there's that future thought or high worry about years from now. Okay, let me come back to what's in front of me. Let me look around the room. My child's still two. I'm still in the same house, right? Like I am not suddenly five years older. There's that brown chair I know. We're literally orienting to the moment. We then have 20-20 vision. And actually, when we're oriented to what's in front of us with our kids, we tend to make really good parenting decisions. When we're oriented toward a fear, we're truly just making a decision based on worst case scenario and based on our own anxiety, which is probably also more related to our stuff and our projections than anything about our kids. And we tend not to make good decisions, not surprisingly, from that place. Completely. Like, oh gosh, 100%. So, so let's like get into that, right? So do we, should we use biting, kicking? Do you want to start, Jess, or do you want me to start? <laughs> I'll start. We're both dealing with this right now. So Bryce has been hitting when he's getting frustrated. And I noticed that it's usually a time when he's overtired or when he's not looking forward to a certain transition. So let's say like bedtime or diaper change. What should I do in those situations? Great. So let's just get to a few more specifics. So use one of those examples and give me a play-by-play. Like where does that hit happen? And does it happen? Does it connect? Do you notice it's just about to happen? Tell me a few more details. Let's talk about when the hit actually happens. It's about to be diaper time. I tell him it's diaper time. I give a lot of warnings. I see it coming. Sometimes I have to move his body or whatever it may be. And he'll he'll hit in that moment. And I'll say like, no, no, no. Or just like, he'll just come over and, you know. Just come on over and just do a hit. Great. 
So this is a question I think about a lot, or I shouldn't say that. I try to think about it a lot. On Instagram, I say I think about it a lot. I think about it some (laughs) percentage of the time in reality. What is my most generous interpretation? I now just, I say it too often. I'm like, I'm just going to MGI it. Like, what is my MGI of what's going on? So answer that for me for Bryce. Like, what's your most generous interpretation of why this is happening? And then we'll jump in from there so easy. He doesn't want to stop his body. He's really engaged in the play that he's doing and he doesn't want to transition. And so he just doesn't want to be pulled out of play. And this is not for a nap. This is just like, he doesn't want to stop his play to have to change his diaper. Mm-hmm. Right? This or would be like- nap time. Yeah, either or one. nap. So this is like, for us, like I'm in the zone. I don't know, like I'm finally working out or I'm typing out something that I feel like I'm really in the groove. And my husband is like, you need to change your shirt. And I'd be like, what? Right? Something like, kind of like that. Totally. And I know for me, you know, a couple of things come up when I think about that and my, for my own life. Like I would feel frustrated. I'd also feel totally controlled and I'd feel like I'm on someone else's agenda, you know, with no respect to what was clearly important to me in the process. And we do this to kids all the time. And, and sometimes we have to, but we really often with our kids say to them, stop doing something that you're enjoying and that's important to you in your world to do something that's a priority for me in my world. And then when they don't, we tell them they're not listening. Even though I'm sure if you didn't change your shirt mid-workout class and then your husband or partner was like, you have a listening problem, you'd be like, that is such a perversion of the truth. Like that is not (laughs) at all what the situation is, right? So there's a couple things. So I want to talk about how you approach the moment that you know is going to be difficult and then a little bit more specific about the hitting itself and kind of things to do in the moment and outside the moment. That's another thing I try to think about a lot with problem behaviors, just as a takeaway, is we need in-the-moment strategies to both reduce the likelihood of the thing happening, whatever the thing is, and inevitably to deal with the thing if it happens. But most change happens outside of the moment. Like most of the real bang for our buck moments happen when things are calm. And I'll get into this, how we role play the situation, how we practice it, because all of our bodies are calm. We get to be the parent we really want to be in those situations because we're regulated ourselves. So let's get into the moment. I think about you approaching Bryce, and maybe this is already happening, in a way that you're really speaking to these deeper themes that are going to get activated him, which is what leads to the hit. Those themes of feeling controlled, feeling frustrated, feeling like his priorities not only aren't being achieved, but are kind of invisible. So that sounds something like this. Oh, you're playing with those blocks. You know what? It's going to be time for a diaper change soon. Right? Because again, if we think about us, like whether my partner says to me, oh, wow, you you look like you're really deep into writing that article. Or he just says, hey, do this thing to me. Like at least in the first example, I'm real to him. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm a real person doing something real. And now at least we have a connection us saying that to our kids, it's amazing. It makes a huge difference. Like even just using the language of seeing and noticing, I notice you're building. I see you're really into this. Or I bet the last thing you want to do right now is change your diaper, right? You're just, you're connecting, right? And I think Dan Siegel says, I don't know if it's him, connect before you correct, or there's a, you know, it's, it's something like that. It's a nice little rhyme. But I often think I need to generate the feeling of feeling seen in my child before I make any type of transition. Um, Not because it's a game, but because that's like a basic human need to feel real and seen and I would need that too. So then I'd say something like that. Then I would try to give him some choice in the matter, right? Again, because 
we all want to feel agency and like we have some sense of control. A diaper change once kids get older is kind of the ultimate form of like being done to, especially as kids get older, like they're on their back being chained by their parent. They feel so young versus the feelings of kind of in his world, power and agency he's feeling as he's building a block tower, right? So going from one to another just feels, it's it's too big of a gap. So I'd connect, I'd see what's going on. And then after that, I'd give him some choice. Here's the thing, we have to change your diaper. And then I'd give him a choice. We can do it in one minute, in three minutes. We can do it right now, or we can do it in two minutes. We can do it standing up, or we can do it lying down. I find adding a little humor to the choice is massively helpful. So if it was me, I'd probably say something like, we can do it standing up or lying down. I know kids as they get older tend to want to do it more standing up. Again, they feel older. And I'd say, please don't stay do it, say doing it standing up because then, oh, it's just so much harder for me. I have to get the tabs. Please don't say that. And again, letting a kid choose something that you're saying you don't want is like the ultimate win for a kid because they feel <laughs> powerful. Meanwhile, you don't really care. I'm loving this conversation, but let's take a quick pause to talk about Babbel, who we're so excited that they're sponsoring the podcast because we're absolutely loving Babbel and know you will too. Okay. So how many times do you travel somewhere and think, gosh, I wish I spoke the language or could at least speak conversationally to the Uber driver or barista or server or see kids speak in another language and think about how cool it would be for my kids to be bilingual? Well, we have the solution. Get Babbel. We're traveling to Italy next month as a family, and I still can't believe that's happening, by the way. And thanks to Babbel, Liv, Tyler, and I are actually learning Italian. It's so clear why Babbel has the number one language learning app because they've made the process of learning Italian so addictively fun and easy for our whole family. And I'm not just talking a couple of words, but we're actually learning how to speak Italian together. Each night now, instead of stories, Liv and I sit together and she insists we do a 15-minute lesson together. All the lessons are bite-sized, which is perfect for our on-the-go lifestyle and my short attention span as a mom, but also excellent for kids. Watching how easily Liv has been able to pick up Italian with the accent and all makes me realize that this is the time for me to learn new languages also with my kids while they're little sponges. It's amazing for their brain development. And now the dream of all of my kids being bilingual doesn't seem like a fantasy, but actually a reality with Babbel. With Babbel, you can choose between 14 different languages and they have the coolest speech recognition technology to help pronunciation and accent because if you're like us, no matter how a word is spelled out, we're never confident in how to say it. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to babbel.com and use promo code FULL, F-U-L-L, that's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com, code full for an extra three months. Now let's get back to our conversation. So these are some of the things I think early on. Okay, let's say sometimes my house too, I do all these things and still my kid is just not doing it. If you know your child hits, if you know your child bites, one of the biggest goals is to try to intervene in the cycle before that behavior happens. Because if you think about behavior change, once the behaviors happen, there's plenty of things we can do and it's fine, but the whole cycle just got reinforced. Like the cycle ended in the same place. So if you know your child hits, when I went in and even did this, oh, I see what you're doing and here's my choice and here's my humor. Like for me, my hands would literally be ready because I want to stop my child from connecting. Even if it's ending up 
like that close to my body, not on my body, I've already made a change, right? Now let's say he still comes at you hitting, okay? Because <laughs> this is reality. Way. Yeah, that, that, that happens. To me, there's the same language I use every time. I won't let you hit. I won't let you. Same thing with biting. I won't let you bite. It's such a different message than we don't or please stop. We don't bite. First of all, if you don't bite your child, your child knows you don't bite. So I just think it's a confusing communication. So there's that. There's also a real avoidance of your authority. And if we think about kids who hit and bite in those moments as not being able to have a boundary for themselves, then what they're really saying is, I need my parents to be that boundary for me. When we say, I won't let you, we're kind of saying, this stops here. When we say we don't, I don't know, it's like, who's who's the leader here? Like, who's doing what? It's actually very unnerving for a child, totally. right? Like, if you heard a pilot on a plane being like, we don't scream when there's turbulence. I'd be like, what? Like, but if the pilot said like, I'm okay, I'm doing fine. Now I feel secure. There's a differentiation. So I won't let you hit. And then I'd want to redirect the urge. And I actually think even giving permission you have energy in your hands. You kind of know something about Bryce. When he gets frustrated or feels unseen, all of those feelings and energy, it goes into his hands. Maybe some other kids, right, goes into their mouth. Like, okay, you can hit the pillow. You can hit the floor. You can hit the wall. You wh- Whatever it is, I won't let you hit me. And often kids, they respond to this combination of a firm boundary and kind of this ways to discharge an urge. Now, let me step out of that for a second because I think where you can get a real, real bang for your buck is I would actually role play this with him. So I would say, you know what's been hard? Changing your diaper. Oh, so annoying. And all that energy goes into your hands and it just wants to come out, out, out. Let's practice. And sometimes kids, even if they're resistant to doing this practice, they'll let you do it. So you could be Bryce. And actually that could be most effective. I'd be like, I want you to tell me that it's time to change my diaper. Right, kids love this because it's kind of funny. Okay, mom, change. And I'd be, no, I'm not changing it. And then I'd almost whisper to him like, "Uh uh-oh, I have that hitting energy. What can I do? What can I do? And I'd see what he says. It wouldn't surprise me if he says, kids say like, take a deep breath or hit the floor, especially if you've introduced that to him. And now you're actually allowing him to kind of access some coping skills but it doesn't feel as forced and didactic as when we say to our kids, show me something else you can do. Which if your kid's willing to do that, that's great. But a lot of kids are like, no, I'm just not doing anything. But when we do a role reversal, we're actually empathizing with them. And we're kind of essentially saying, you're not so bad. I'm doing the same things. And now they can help us, which obviously reminds me of when I was in high school and used to review with someone, if, if someone wanted me to explain something to them, it was me studying for the test because I was kind of crystallizing that knowledge, right? So we give our kids the opportunity to do that for us or for to, I guess we give our kids that opportunity to do that for themselves. That was a lot of information. No, I loved that. I, I absolutely <laughs> loved that. And Amazing. It, yeah. So simple and just helps us just reframe it in a way that's so actionable. So I love that. And I think, you know, the main idea that I think with kids that's important is we need to hold who they are as separate from their behavior. And and if we don't explicitly do that, our kids don't know to separate that. Like we need our kids to hold on to the idea that they're good kids. They're a good kid who hit, right? That's different from, you know, you hit, go to your room, which what a kid really feels in that moment. A kid doesn't go to their room thinking, 
my mom just doesn't like when they hit. They actually go to the room thinking like, I'm a bad kid. And we don't want our kids to take on their identity because guess what? Bad kids do more bad things because that's who we're telling them they are. So another thing I would sprinkle in here and there is just, I won't let you hit something like you're having a good time. You're having a hard time. Or I say to my kids a lot, you're a good kid having a hard time. It's okay. I'm not going to let you hit me. You can hit the floor. You can hit the pillow. I'm not going to let you hit me. I'm here with you. We're going to get this out in a different way. Because I think we know as adults too, there's an irony. It's like you have to feel good and lovable to make changes. And so we want to be explicit about that with our kids. Yes. Oh, well, what about if they're continually biting, hitting, doing all those things after you've done all those? What kind right. of discipline do you do? So, you know, I think when people ask me that a lot about like discipline, you know, I'm never, I, I don't know if people often mean like, is there a consequence? It's like usually like, like a euphemism, like, should I punish them? Right? Like, what, right. what, are like, what do I do? I what know. do we do? What do I do? I'm, so they don't, hopefully don't do that again, especially if I'm not in the room. Right. So you're bringing up something really big there. If our kids are repeatedly, let's say, biting, we can't expect them not to bite when we're not in the room. We have to take it on as our job to be in the room and notice the antecedents of that behavior. Now, there's a reality component. People are like, well, I'm doing something else. I get it. Like, that's true. And I totally understand. And we can't expect our kids to develop skills we're not helping them develop. It's just also true. So, kids who are biting and hitting repeatedly, I think as a parent, we we have to take it on a little bit as part of our job. Say, I, I need to start to notice. Like, what is it? Is it that flinch of the arm? Is it, oh, I notice it's a kid taking one toy from them. That's usually okay. Uh, the second toy, forget it. And then actually intervening way earlier. So let's say my kid's playing with other kids and there's always frustration in play. There's sharing, there's disagreement, there's turn-taking, whatever there is, there's frustration. And that can lead to my child biting, let's say, another child. I would want to kind of notice the play situation early and really collect data, right? And the place I'd intervene wouldn't be when my child is lunging at another child. But maybe if there is something about turn-taking, oh, my child has a really hard time waiting for his friend to be done with the magnetile box he's using, something like that. As soon as I noticed my son seeing that his friend had the magnetile box, I would pull my son to the side then and just say, you're not in trouble. Oh, waiting is so hard. I know I'm going to take a deep breath. I'd model it. Or if it's biting, maybe I'd get a chew necklace. I know sometimes it's so frustrating. I don't know about you. I'm going to bite down on this necklace. And I would do it again. I'm modeling it and I'm joining. I'm decreasing shame and I'm intervening in the cycle. Now, at least I have one opportunity where there's some frustration in my child's body and it's met with a coping strategy to calm down, not a bite. That's where we change. After the biting's happened, we don't change cycles by intervening after the cycle happened. Like if you actually think about it, like it just, it doesn't make sense. Like we, we actually are brought up in a punishment culture. We think after the quote bad behavior happens, we can punish or consequence a child into changing the cycle that led to that behavior. But even with logic, I, I, it's always confused me. I'm like, how the things already happened. You've already repeated that exact pattern. We need to change the pattern before the behavior, then we've created a new pathway. You've just created a new pathway, frustration, deep breath. Is that going to 
be the only time you have to do that? No. Frustration, deep breath. Frustration, bite my chew toy. Frustration, maybe we practice again in a role play, going out of the room. With hitting and biting, one of the things I teach my kids and I encourage families to teach kids and do in a role play is literally the act of moving away. Because if you think about what these kids are doing when they're frustrated is their bodies in space are moving toward. They're moving toward you. They're moving toward another kid. So just from a somatic perspective, we'd love for them to feel frustrated and start learning in a circuit. I put my hands on my body and I move away for a hit. Or I get my chew necklace and I turn my head away because now I've gained five seconds. And in those five seconds, my body is more time to regulate. So I would definitely role play that with your son. Let's say it is again about waiting. I would take on the role of kid who's having a difficult time. Oh, you know one of the things my mom taught me? Kids love stories of intergenerational kind of patterns. It's It also feels less like I'm teaching you something and I'm just like passing down something that happened to be passed to me. You know what my mom taught me? Because do you know when I was your age, when I had a hard time waiting, all that hard time waiting energy would go into my mouth and sometimes it would come out to someone else. And she taught me one of the best things that I can do is it's okay to have that feeling in my mouth. That's really, it's even okay to get the feeling out, but I got this thing. And if I turn away, I can get out that feeling in a way that's safe for everyone. And then I'd probably add on, and you know, my number one job is to keep you safe. So that's something we're really going to practice because that's a way you can get the energy out and stay safe and staying safe for everyone is really important. And then I'd actually practice it. Before we get into that, let's take a break to talk about our other sponsor of the podcast today, Sakara. If you're like us, there can be so much guilt around prioritizing ourselves with time or money, especially for moms. Has it ever been the end of the day and you then realize you didn't make any real meal for yourself or you only ate the leftovers of your kids' food? Us too, and Sakara is here helping us out. Taking care of ourselves is part of taking care of our kids. And for me, eating nutritious, real foods makes the biggest difference for my mood, energy level, and I'm just a better mom. But it's so hard to always plan and prepare meals for myself, especially with life picking back up again and just the mental load of balancing it all. We end up spending the time and resources on our family and forget about ourselves. So I've made a conscious effort to change that. And for the days when I know I won't have the time to plan and meal prep for myself, which happens a lot, I've been ordering Saqqara and it's been so great. The meals are delicious, nutritious, all organic, plant-based, and delivered right to your door. Right now, I'm still loving their summer menu. They have this summer sun salad made with zucchini noodles, fresh greens, um, tart dried cherries, and superfood vinaigrette that I could eat every day. The summer menu isn't heavy, but filling, and I've been enjoying the meals so much. It's hard for us to prioritize ourselves, but it's so important, and Sakara has made it so simple. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience their best-selling Metabolism Super Powder and Metabolism Super Bar to control sugar cravings, reduce bloating, boost energy, and reduce fatigue. And right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when you go to saqqara.com slash full or enter code full, F-U-L-L, at checkout. That's Saqqara, S-A-K-A-R-A, dot com slash full to get 20% off your first order. But I think, Haley, going back to what you said, is if my kid is biting and biting and biting and I'm cooking in the kitchen or I'm doing work on my computer in my office and I'm leaving my kid in the very situation that gets them activated, 
it, it's just a setup for everyone to feel frustrated. And it's also a setup for our kids. Our kids are almost more likely to bite in that situation because they're probably unconsciously thinking like, again, is there a leader around here? Like my parents know this is hard for me. It would be like if you had a kid who darted in front of the street and you being like, well, how do I get them to not dart in front of the street when I leave them on a New York City sidewalk alone? And I think we'd be like, I just think we're asking the wrong question. You know, like, I don't know. Right. And like that, that's just not something we would do. Right. So I think that's like the model I'm thinking about it. Okay. That's helpful. So our almost two-year-old Luca, he's one of three. He's the middle child. And he has been biting and pulling hair, actually, now that I think about it. But biting is his big thing right now. And it's usually, I think it's when he's excited about something. Sometimes it'll be when he gives me a big hug and then his head will be like kind of snuggled in my neck and he'll just bite my shoulder right there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we just went from like this cute embrace to like, you just bit me and oh, you know, just gets your, gets you going. But yeah. Um, so that would be something if you know that that happens. Yeah. That I'd say when he comes up to you, be like, I want to hug you. Ooh, mouth has to stay shut. And he's young. So I'd model that. Open, right. shut. And if you see him even moving away, open, shut. And then I'd really have my guard up. And I might say to my child, that's as close as I'm going to be right now. Mm-hmm. Right? As we learn to keep our mouths closed and cuddle in a safe way, we can get closer and closer. Right? As an example. Right. Right. But I'd be on the lookout because if you're cuddling with them and we're also, of course, doing other things, then it then it can happen. And, and if it happens, it's gonna happen. But really to change these behaviors, we have to reduce their frequency, not think so much about what we do after. What about if it's with a sibling? So if he's doing it to his older sister who's three, what do we say to Luca? And then what do we say to Liv to respond to him in those situations? Great. So again, I'm going to say this, and then I promise to answer your question. I would be on operation biting. So like, you don't really want to leave them in a situation where that could even happen because then we're just in damage control, which is fine, but we're not in a mode of change. And we want to be in the mode of change as much as possible. So what would I do? I'd pull them off and I'd say this, I will not let you bite. Right. And then I'd, I'd have something physical. Our kids do these things because they have big urges. So we want to give them an opportunity to discharge them, to kind of do that in a safer way. So again, a chew necklace or something, you can bite this necklace, you can, you know, whatever it else. You can, you know, bite this, if there's like a small towel, whatever else is there. If there's still energy in your mouth, you can get it out there. I will not let you bite your sister. And then I'd look at your daughter and I'd say some version of, that was not okay. I'm helping Luca deal with, you know, figure out how to manage that feeling when it comes. And for you... I'm sure that really hurt. I'm sure that was really scary. I'm sorry that happened. And and what I'm really doing is I'm clearly labeling that this is not okay. And I think about this more and more as our kids get older, especially in families where there's two kids, it's just gonna be really easy to get into like a good kid, bad kid dynamic. And, you know, I think we think about the kids who are kind of quote the victims, right? The kid who was bit, right? And obviously those kids do need their that our attention. It's just that also we need to protect the the kids who did the biting or did the hitting from further identifying as the dysregulated bad kids. So in this scenario, kind of I'm stepping in, I'm clearly the leader here and both of my kids get to still be good kids. That's a good reminder. So good. 
because I'm also the type that I did say, we don't bite. <laughs> so when you said that, that was yeah. such a good reframing of it. And I'm totally going to take that. It's it's huge. It happens all over the place, right? And it, it it often comes up with aggressive behavior. It comes up with the area of listening a lot too, right? We say these like, we don't, or please stop. I, I think about this often with like elevator buttons because like my youngest just would be, is like a maniac. He would just like press all the buttons. <laughs> and I think about a parent saying like, we don't press elevator buttons or please stop, please stop, please stop. And then the parent's like, my kid doesn't listen to me. It's not a listening problem. It's a boundary problem. I won't let you push elevator buttons and I'm putting my body in between your body and the elevator buttons. There's no listening problem anymore. It's not a matter of listening. It's a matter of a boundary that comes from our willingness as parents. And I think really, especially as women to embody our authority. I won't let you is asserting that I have a leadership quality here. And our kids actually really need that, not in a scary way, not at all, in like a warm authority way. Like I, when you can't keep yourself safe and make good decisions, I can do that for you. When you can't access the edge or the boundary around your feelings to kind of keep them in your body, not suppress them in your body, but just keep them living there, I will be that edge for you. And when we instead say, please stop, or please don't, or we don't, no one's doing that, right? So it's it, it's a recipe for everything to actually get further out of control. So yeah, it's a great exercise just to see in all places. Like where else can I say, I won't let you, or just kind of embody that I as the leader of your family? Oh, yeah. And we talk about so much of boundaries making kids feel so safe when it comes to food, right? Like they want those boundaries. They want to know where they can succeed. What are the rules? Who is in charge of this? Who's in charge of the menu? And then what is my role? So you're right. It just bleeds into so many other types of scenarios. But my brain's going a little fast here. And I have two follow-up questions for this because there are two other scenarios that I I really want to touch on, which is one, what do you do when it's the aggressive behavior? Kind of like Haley was saying, when it's more excitement, when they kind of tap and then laugh. Or they go to like do a little nibble and they say like, oh, it's not a bite, it's a nibble. Like those types of things when they're dabbling around that boundary. So I think you're right. There's experimentation. They're trying to figure it out, right? So let's again use that most generous interpretation, just that our kids are trying to figure out the world and how they learn also relates to how clear we are about what is okay and what isn't okay. And I think you can clearly communicate again while holding in mind that your kid's a good kid. So you know, let's say it's that tap. I mean, we all have our own, there's no right way. We all have our own sense of what's comfortable, but I could imagine saying to a kid, oh, okay, I'm not sure I like that. So right now I just need a little space or that's okay. Anything harder than that isn't okay. Can you show me on the floor what would be the same and what would be harder? Oh, you know what? That same, that actually didn't look the same. That actually looked like that might hurt me. Can you go a level down? So again, like I'm not looking at my kid like he's trying to hurt me or she's trying to be aggressive. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm also really holding a boundary. Same thing with a nibble, right? And again, it's up to you. For me, teeth feel like very scary. Like, you know, so that probably for me would be a no-go, but I'd probably say something like this. Oh, you're trying to figure out what's fun and what's silly. There's so many ways to be fun and silly your mouth and teeth on my body is never going to be a way to be fun and silly. So let's try to think of other ways. So again, like I'm I'm giving my kid the benefit of the doubt. My kid's a good kid. I really believe they are. And I'm pretty clear about what's happening. Now, to be honest, if that was my kid, I'd still be, I really mean this, like on the lookout, just because 
kids have trouble regulating. So if I say that to my kid, I'm probably not going to turn around because I think I'm setting myself up for the chance that my child maybe escalates a little. So my child comes back at me, what clearly is like an open mouth looking to escalate. That's where I'd say, I won't let you put your mouth and teeth on my body. I just said that. It seems like there's a lot of energy going on. We're going to have to figure out how to get that out in another way. Gosh, love that. I know I needed all of this. I have one more question because I think I want every parent to listen to this episode because I do think that these aggressive behaviors that you, we have to figure out what's going on before them, but they're going to happen. In social situations, they happen. Yes. At the park, they're going to happen. Yes. And I know that if Bryce went up and just smacked another kid across the face, I would know that it's not that he's a bad kid doing that. And intellectually, I know that. But sometimes we feel so much shame and we don't know what to say to the other parent in those situations. Yep. Do you have any suggestions for what to do when just handling this? Yes. So, you know, I think often we assume that other parents, these also like made up parents, like what if this happened? There's like a made up choir or something around us that they assume the worst, you know? And I think it's also just a good foundation to question that. Like, I need to have words and it's good to feel empowered with words and I'll definitely share some that I think could be useful. But before that, remind yourself, another parent might be looking at me with empathy or might be looking at me thinking, oh, my kid just did that five minutes ago or, oh, glad I'm just taking a break from my kid being that kid today. Thank you, Jessica, for taking on that role for all the other parents in the park. You know, I really think that that's true. So, and when we realize that, it it just, it lowers the stakes a little bit. Totally. Language I could see. So I see, so like Bryce goes up and hits another kid and if, if he's a kid like my kids, he's like not wanting to say sorry. He's like kind of like in bad kid shame mode a little bit. So we're going to help him with that. I probably go up to that kid or to the parent and just say some version of, I'm sorry, I'm sure that hurt. Bryce was having a hard time. I'm going to help keep him safe. Something like that. Um, Simple and fantastic. Yeah. I should also say, I, you know, and I really, I, I'm mindful enough of myself to know that when people ask me questions or scenarios, like I I love thinking through them and I can often like think of my feet. It's just nothing goes this smoothly in real life. So for all the people listening, if you're like this, that's not, I just tried that. That's not how it went. It's not how it always goes with my kids either. It's the three of us right now talking with no kids around us. Um, You know, all somehow wearing like very coordinated outfits. uh, Um, right. And life is much messier than our beige shirts and then these scenarios, right? So these are just ideas. And I think the main idea really, or some main ideas are really the important of our boundaries. Like we have to be the boundary for our kids. They can't be for themselves when they're having these unboundaried behaviors, right? So we can say aggressive behaviors. Another way to think about it that kind of puts us more in the role of helper is their unboundary behaviors. These things came out of my kids' bodies. So if they can't be the boundary for themselves, well, I have to be the boundary for them. I think also just holding on to the idea of separating behavior from my kid. So, right, when we say to a kid something like, I'm not going to let you hit, here's what you can do instead, you're a good kid having a hard time, or after the fact, we said that was a hard play date. I had hard play dates too. Tomorrow when things are calmer, we're going to practice different things we can do. That's what I do too when I have a hard time. I'm really preserving my kid as a good kid while I'm doing the skill building that's actually going to help change that cycle. Now, within those kind of general parameters, 
like everyone here and everyone here listening, you know your kids best, your words, your idea of how to role play. If they like trucks, use trucks. If they like Paw Patrol, use Paw Patrol. You all know your family best. So take, I always think like take one idea from here. Best thing about a podcast, you can listen over and over. So like take one idea, that's it. It can be overwhelming to think of five new things. And that's that's the way I make change with my kids too. It's just like one one small project at a time. Mm-hmm. All right. That's great advice. And I do like the role-playing. That seems to work really well with my three-year-old. I haven't tried it much with our two-year-old. He doesn't speak as much. Actually, he doesn't really speak at all. (laughs) But Olivia, it works really well with. And then that's Um, part of probably biting too. If you think about the frustration around speaking and where that lives and in the mouth, right? That's really a big component of it, right? So even if he doesn't speak yet, even understanding that. And you like so much role play, I think I do just to the side of my kids, right? Oh, so much energy in my mouth. Oh, I want to get it out, 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 right? My kid doesn't have to say anything to me. Usually kids don't say anything back to you, but we can trust that they're absorbing it. Or kids who don't speak yet, I find often saying to them here and there, you have so much you know and want to say, and oh, it's not coming out. That's so hard, right? I think that's, that's one of the hardest things about being a kind of pre-verbal kid. It's chronically I know. frustrating. I, know. I so feel for him because he looks at you like, yes, I understand. And then he'll do it again. And I'm like, what, is, what are you doing, Luca? Yes. Uh. But like meeting with that compassion, meeting with that understanding, and you're a good kid, you know, that needs help. I love yes. that. Yes. I, I we really need help. Yes. Him. When you were struggling when you were a kid, when you were like in a bad place, when something, you know, that probably only adults ever label it bad behavior, right? I think as kids and we look back, you're like, no, I wasn't bad. I was, I was having a hard time, right? Like, what did you need to hear? I'm still here for you. You don't have to be perfect to be loved. You are a good kid having a hard time, not a bad kid doing bad things. Everyone struggles sometimes, right? And it, just trusting that like the things we know deep down that we needed that probably still bring tears to our eyes if we imagine an adult having said that to us, like that has to be the same stuff our kids need. Now, now, you don't want to say that and allow your kid to keep hitting. Like the boundary is important because the boundary kind of stops the dysregulated behavior from continuing. That's the first sign of safety. But after that, I feel like in our time of struggles, we all just want to be reminded that we're good and lovable. And our and our kids... I think our kids, you know, need that just as much as we know we needed that. Yeah, and still do. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, Thank thank you for having me. This has been a, we've gotten a lot. We've gotten a lot. This has been really helpful. (laughs) I do have one more question or we do have one more question, which we ask all of our guests. It's what made you feel full this week? It doesn't even have to be parenting related. That's a great question. Can I give two answers? Neither of them are parenting. Two things come to mind. So I got to play tennis this morning with some of my friends. And um, I'm not like a regular tennis player, but being outside, moving my body, being disconnected from my phone, laughing with friends, that that, that was very filling. And last night, um, my husband and I impromptu decided to go out to dinner, just the two of us. And it was just like two adults having adult conversation, not about our kids. Um, and instead of, you know, I like to be in my pajamas like 8 p.m. And, you know, I don't know, read a book and go to bed early. But I like, you know, put on 
decently cute outfit and went out to dinner and I felt very fulfilling as well. Those are good moments. Yeah. They're the best. Such good reminders, right? Disconnect from our phones, be present and, and have those moments. Yeah. Well, we could learn from you all the time. We're going to have to have you back on to talk about some other topics because we've got some hot topics that I know you are just so good at answering. So thank you for being here. Well, and thank, thank you for having me. I mean, this has been like really dynamic and fun. For anyone that doesn't know already, how where can they find you? A couple places. Well, I guess anyone here is a podcast listener. So you could check out my Good Inside with Dr. Becky podcast. So there's that way of finding me. And then goodinside.com is just the hub for all things good inside. So from there, you can find my Dr. Becky at Good Inside Instagram. I have a weekly... I need to come up with a name because I hate the name newsletter. It's really not a newsletter. But every week on Thursdays, we send out kind of some actionable scripts and tips and kind of organized ideas. So that we call Good Insider. So you can get that at goodinside.com as well. And a bunch of my online courses and workshops you can find through goodinside.com as well on all types of topics, including obviously a billion different parenting topics, couples communication. And then I have a bunch just focused on our own personal kind of stress and anxiety management. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait to dig deeper into your website and hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Me too. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. Please follow the show, rate, and don't hesitate to write a little review. We also have a voicemail box you can call to ask us any questions, tell us the topics you'd like covered, or just share where you're struggling and how you could use some extra support. Call 833-444-FULL or 833-444-3855. We want to hear from you. And tune in every Monday for a new episode of Meaningful Living. And if you're looking for more ways to live a meaningful life, follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com. And don't forget with two L's. Can't wait to see you next week.